Hi there, and welcome to my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. I'm Catherine, and I'm so glad to welcome you here. Let's discover together interesting facts about fashion and history and fashion history. One of the sources of information about fashion history are books and the descriptions of people's outfits and lifestyles you can find in them. This is what I teach to my students during my fashion history classes, that visuals are, of course, interesting and important, but that written descriptions and analyses with the choice of certain words are also something to look at. As you already know, if you have been listening to my Fashion Stories Box podcast for some times, I love books. And I love books dealing with fashion, history, the capital H, and stories. The book I chose to review for the start of this year is Miss Dior, A Story of Courage and Couture by Justine Picardy. I bought it at the end of last year as an early birthday present for myself, and I just finished it a few days ago reading non-stop for two full days. Justine Picardy is a British writer, former editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar UK and author of My Mother's Wedding Dress, The Life and Afterlife of Clothes, published in 2006, and Coco Chanel, The Legend and the Life, published in 2010. Her last book, Miss Dior, A Story of Courage and Couture, has been published in September 2021. We all know the fashion house Dior and his founder, Christian Dior, the author of the new look, the post-war style, with bark jackets and voluminous skirts, transforming women into flowers, according to him, and bringing them back to the corsets and understructures of the beginning of the 20th century. And you might have heard about the perfume too, Miss Dior. The common thread of this book is the story of a family, the Dior family, surviving two world's wars and a brotherly love between the future couturier and his younger sister, Catherine, and how she inspired him, his collections. The author, through intensive researches and trips, not only managed to picture the family background of the Dior, but also the French society during the pre-Second World War period, the occupation time, and the post-war society. She wrote it in a way you feel captivated by this story, as if it was a fiction story, and you easily identify yourself with her quest to find more about Catherine Dior. She tried to find more information about the secretive sister of Christian Dior, who didn't abuse from the success of her brother. She tried to cover a period of time and obtained more information about something we French people are not quite proud of the occupation, and the collaboration of the Nazis during the 40s. She tackled with a silence from the people who lived during that time. Quite early on, Catherine Dior adhered to, the, to a resistance branch in the south of France to protest against the French government's decision to sign an armistice with Nazi power and to rely the General de Gaulle's call, the calls of the 18th of June 1940, to resist the invaders. Then Catherine moved to Paris, where her brother Christian was living, working for other fashion designers, and continued her resistant activities until the moment she got arrested by the Gestapo, tortured, and sent to the concentration camp of Ravensbrück, 
just a few days before the liberation of Paris by the Allied forces. What happened to her during her tortures at the Parisian headquarters of the Gestapo and during the time she spent at Ravensbrück? Justine Picardie managed to obtain some information through testimonials of family members, collaborators, and other women who followed the same path as Catherine and who survived. Though Catherine herself was quite silent and wouldn't give much details, which is quite understandable when you know what happened over there. Not to mention the feeling of shame she might have felt when she came back, first knowing that the majority of her friends died and there, and second, knowing how she looked like, the physical and psychological wounds that she had, nobody would be able to understand. It's shocking, and I shed some tears during the reading of that book, just imagining all of this. But the most frustrating, irritating, infuriating, and it's very hard to find the right word to convey that feeling, is that it wasn't Nazis who were doing this dirty job. It was French people. French people who would denounce. French people who would torture. French people who would deport other French people. What happened to Catherine Dior happened to other people. Some of them didn't come back, and the ones who came back didn't talk about what they endured. It was like something shameful, something that shouldn't be mentioned, talked about, something that should be forgotten because nobody would believe it, really. It really happened. And this silence, sometimes aggressive, is what the author had to face during her researches and trips, not only in France, but also in Germany. And this silence to so many questions was what I also faced when I asked my paternal grandmother about the occupation. The only thing she would answer was, when a Nazi soldier came to the farm and asked for something, you couldn't do anything else than giving him what he asked for, for fear that, if you would refuse, he would come back later with some other soldiers and shot you dead. The author mentioned in her book that less than 1% of the French population was a part of the resistance and that many became resistance after the debarkment on the Normandy coast. Which is true. When I was discussing this topic with my father, he told me the story of one of his father's friends who, at the beginning of the war, was pro-Nazi, pro-Bosch, as we say in French, and at the end of the war came to see my grandfather in an American uniform. And unfortunately, he wasn't the only one. You had this kind of people who were collabo, as we say again in in French, at the beginning of the war, and resistance at the end. You had these people who denounced. You had resistance. In the small town where my family lives, in North Turin, there was a young female teacher, Elisabeth Leport. She now has a portrait in the classroom where she used to teach in the primary school of my town. She was a communist, which was already bad enough at that time. And on the top of that, she was a resistant. She got denounced by one of her students, to whom she was giving private lessons and who had an affair with a Nazi soldier. She got arrested, tortured, and deported to Auschwitz, 
where she got shot. The other story that we have in our town was the one of a man who was part of the same resistance group as Elizabeth Leport. He got the visit of a neighbor who told him someone denounced him and that the Gestapo was coming. He could have tried to hide, but he wanted to protect his family and he stayed. When the, the, Gestapo, the Gestapo came to arrest him, they gave him two choices, the camp or the STO, which was a kind of forced labor in German factories or farms. Free workforce, as for the camps one, in a sense, with maybe better conditions though. When he came back at the end of the war, he had two missing fingers. The only thing he said, according to my father, was that while working, his apron got stuck and he was aspired by the machine. He would have died if the Nazi officer in charge didn't put him back. He lost two fingers in the process. And you have these kind of stories in every town in France, not to mention towns which got completely destroyed and their inhabitants killed when the Nazi army retreated. And you also have what I would call passive resistance. Yes, as my grandmother told, if you wanted to stay alive, you needed to give them what they were asking for. There is another story I heard of a Nazi soldier who entered a butchery and never went back. At least, not in the form of a human being. Or my grandfather's employee who, while digging over the fields, discovered some pro-Nazi tracks and destroyed them. Or some other people who, punctually, would sabotage the railways or making sure the food for the Nazi would be spoiled. And these people didn't consider themselves as resistance, but they were resisting the occupation at their levels. So yes, it was a dark time and still is a sensitive period for French people. And it's easy to judge them with our modern eyes and knowledge of history. But the question we can ask ourselves is, what would have I done? Would I have been living at that time fearful of the future? It's easy to answer. I would have resisted, of course, knowing how the war ended. But in truth, before being put into such situations, it's impossible to be certain of how we would have behaved. The other topic Justine Picardy covered in this book through Christian Dior and his sister Catherine is fashion, of course, and the relationships between fashion and politics, between fashion and war, between fashion and society, between fashion and personal story. We learn how his mother, Madeleine Dior, her elegance and her love for flowers influenced the collections of Christian Dior. Her belle époque style is reflected in the new look silhouette and the fullness and volume of the skirts and dresses which make women looking delicate, feminine, like flowers. We feel a certain nostalgia, the nostalgia of a brilliant past during which the Dior family was rich and successful, the nostalgia of a past which wasn't dirtied by the atrocity of the war. As many others, once he knew his sister alive and being brought back to Paris, Christian went 
to the railway station to welcome her with a bucket of flowers. And as mentioned in Justine Picardy's book, and as it would happen for many others, he wouldn't recognize her. Her time at the camp having changed her physiognomy and her physical aspect, as for those women who came back, was not the same. The new look with these beautiful full skirts and feminine silhouettes would have been a way to honor Catherine's coming back, celebrating her still being alive, her courage and her beauty, as well as the beauty of all these women who survived and those who didn't. A way to chase away the horror of these past years. Didn't the survivors plant roses on the ashes of the victims of the camp in Ravensbrück? This book is tackling with the relations between fashion and war and politics at large and how French fashion players reacted to the occupation. Many French designers closed their ateliers as a way to protest against the capitulation and the occupation and they moved to London or New York. Some stayed and tried to survive. As you may know and as you will learn in the book, the Nazi power had big dreams for the French fashion industry and wanted to move all the production to Germany. The director of the Chambre Saint-Guédicale de la Haute Couture Parisienne, Lucien Lelon, literally fought with the, with the occupation forces to maintain fashion in Paris. Can we suspect him of collaboration or passive resistance as a way to, no matter what, preserve a national patrimony? And what about the fashion designers who remained in Paris, designed and sold to Nazis and collaborators? As a comparison, the French Vogue with Michel de Brunoff refused to adhere to the censorship and the rules imposed by the occupation forces and would take the decision to stop the publication of the magazine. Living or staying, and it's not the title of the song, it was a real dilemma. Staying and risking to collaborate while trying to survive and preserving a know-how, or living and having the impression to abandon one's country to its faith, not doing much? What would have I done? What would you have done? Miss Dior, a story of courage and couture, gives a good analysis of the situation and dilemmas the fashion players of that time were facing. The new look by Christian Dior launched in 1947 might have been the symbol of renewal as spring follows winter, a symbol of life and love winning over hate and death a symbol of femininity and delicacy to celebrate and forget, a declaration of love from a brother to his sister who survived. But imagine this new style being launched in a French society which was at that time still under rationing during the years which followed the end of the war. This beautiful Exuberant dresses and all the meters of fabrics needed to create them when some people were still fighting to find food. In the book, you will see a picture of a model wearing a Christian Dior new look dress being aggressed during a shooting by other women who will ripe off all this display of wealth in a society still wounded by the war, the occupation, the collaboration and the trials. 
This new look, though celebrated by the fashion world and bringing Paris back to its status of fashion capital, was seen as an indecency. It leads us to the question of what is the role of fashion in the society, apart from giving trends on how to dress? Does fashion has a role to play? Should it get involved in the many debates our society faces? Or shall it stay away from that independent, just selling dreams, completely disconnected with the reality in its ivory tower? If we consider fashion as an art, as an expression tool, then it should definitely take position on current hot topics the society is facing. As an industry, fashion has a big weight and fashion players should use their voice to reject some practices, to refuse to work with some people who don't respect the others and the environment. Fashion should use its aura to create the world itself so well in the mind of the majority of us. But it shouldn't stay passive, as if not part of this society or life. By looking at that dark period of my own country, by reading Justine Picardi's researches, results, and analyses, it opened my eyes on so many other questions about the role and the actions of fashion and its consequences. She tells us how the French fashion industry behaved, adapted, and survived pre, during, and after the Second World War. Despite everything, the French fashion did survive the war and the occupation. But what were the costs of it? Was there another way around? And even if we are not in a situation of world war as during the 40s, doesn't the fashion industry have a role to play apart from surviving and contributing to a capitalistic society? And finally, this book gave me another angle to read the first collections of Christian Dior and the ones now created by Maria Grazacciuri. How a family story mixed with history, with a capital H, influence silhouettes, sources of inspiration, and feminine ideal. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this book review on Miss Dior, A Story of Courage and Culture by Justine Picardi. And also sponsored by my two cats, Popeye and Swifty, that you might have heard in the background. And if you have any books to recommend me, please drop me a line. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen your podcasts, to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook, and to have a look at my blog to complete the podcast with some visuals. And if you like my podcast, feel free to leave a comment or a review. I would really appreciate it. I am Catherine, and this is my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. See you next week for a new Fashion Story Box. Mm-hmm.